0: What's better than earning money from a nine-to-five job? It's earning money while you sleep, which is made possible if you start investing. You're listening to The Real Estate Investing Demystified with your very own dynamic duo Ava Benasaki and August Biniaz. Tune in as we discuss everything real estate, both on the passive and active sides. We feature life-changing stories of today's real estate leaders that will help build your own roadmap to success. This is a show that will lead you to diversified portfolio, a much bigger revenue, and a next level venture that brings you a smooth cash flow. Let's get this episode started. All right, welcome back to Real Estate Investing Demystified. We're here on another Thursday, beautiful sunny day.
1: It is a beautiful sunny day around the world. We're Back at it again, another show, adding value to our audience, adding value to our network on podcasts, on YouTube, all this great stuff. But today we have a very interesting show because we're based out of Canada, soon to be based out of Florida, but we partner with Canadian LPs. That's another term for investors, passive investors to buy U.S. multifamily, one of the best performing asset classes. And we also partner with U.S. investors as well. So we got Canadian and U.S. LPs. But one of the reasons we invest in the U.S., is because of the tax advantages that exist in the U.S. Like the 1031 exchange, you have depreciation, cost seg, bonus depreciation, many other benefits. There is also professional real estate status, which gives you another set of tax advantages. The U.S. is made to be a tax it is. advantage country. And, and-
0: unfortunately, mm-hmm. the tax code here in Canada doesn't recognize the same tax codes that are across the borders
1: in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about as far as one of our Canadian LPs trying to utilize those tax exactly. advantages yes. that exist. Yeah, in that case, it doesn't, of course. So, Canada, we're one of the most highest tax countries in the world, particularly for high-income earners. Yes. And if there are any type of tax gambits, any ways to reduce taxes compliantly, everybody's for it, right? It's very And exciting. today, we've got the man to just talk about <laughs> just that, His father and himself have literally written books on how to create this tax gambit, as I call it, or as they call it, a tax maneuver. The Smith Maneuver, as is known. I've heard about him for a long time. I've connected with him, had some great conversations with Robinson. So we have him on the show. We're going to do it. Now, on the research for this show, I also did... Obviously, a bunch of talks that he had in the past. And I don't think the interviewer really pressed him a lot of points. So we're going to press him on Get this show.
0: ready. Okay, so guys. So we're going to be pressing him understand By the time this show done, that- you're going to fully understand what the Smith maneuver hopefully,
1: is. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah, so let's, uh, maybe we can tell our audience a little bit about Robinson Smith, and we can go from there. And his credentials were so long, we had to reduce his bio. So this is <laughs> He's a- an
0: interesting man. And we're going to talk about a little bit about his background on the show as well. But here's a little bit about his bio. Robinson Smith operates Smith Consulting Group. Robinson has a double major in Chinese Studies and Economics from the University of Victoria and an MBA in International Business from Simon Fraser University. Robinson has also established the Smith Maneuver Certified Professional Accreditation Program, whereby financial professionals from across Canada earned accreditation as Smith Maneuver Certified Professionals in order to best serve Canadian homeowners. So he's also the author of The Master, Your Mortgage for Financial Freedom. So there's going to be a lot to break down on the show, guys. And we believe this interview with Robinson will bring great value to Canadians looking to learn how to make their mortgage interest tax deductible. So welcome, Robinson. Thank you so much for being with us. Welcome,
2: Robinson. Well, thank you very much, August and Ava. It's a pleasure. I do enjoy talking about this stuff, so I appreciate the invite.
0: Amazing, amazing. Before we dive into things, why don't you just quickly tell us about your background and then your start in real estate, please?
2: Yeah, whatever
1: we didn't include, any great stories, any additions you want to give to us, please. please?
2: Well, pretty normal upbringing out in the West Coast here. But where things started to get interesting for me was when I was trying to decide what I was going to take in my first year for university. I had one elective left to pick. I knew I wanted to go into business, but I had one elective left to pick. And I asked my dad, I got one left, what do you think I should take? Is what are you interested in? Well, I'm interested in languages. I think I might take Japanese. And he says, well, why are you going to take Japanese? I said, well, because everybody's studying Japanese. And he said, well, why don't you study Chinese then? <laughs> no one's studying Chinese. And so I really enjoyed studying a language, took a year off, went and studied in Beijing for four months back in 1990, and subsequently got a scholarship to Shanghai. So I did a lot of studying in China, and I worked in Beijing for six, seven years. And it really opened my eyes. That MBA in international business helped me get some interesting positions over in Beijing and international banking. I worked at the Canadian embassy for a while. So, quite a bit of a diverse background there, but moved back to Canada in 2006 because a place like Beijing is, you can only live there for so long without pining for friends and family and the clean air back home. So,
1: quick question. No, at this time when you made the decision to go overseas, had your father already written his book about this maneuver at that stage
2: oh it hadn't been done yet got it no my first trip over to china i was 18 19 years old and being that age i wasn't terribly interested in what my dad was doing professionally so i didn't really have any idea what he was up to he wrote his book the smith maneuver that came out in 2002
0: on 2002
2: did
1: you guys amalgamate at some point did you guys partner up at some point or
2: yeah well I left China in two thousand and six after having a conversation with my dad. It was time for me to leave. And plus he said, Rob, your mom really misses you. So it's time to come back to Canada. So that's what I did. I mean, he retired from financial planning in two thousand so that he could concentrate on writing his book, which came out as I said in two thousand and two. But he came out of retirement in oh five. And he suggested I join him in 2006. So that's what I did. I trained under dad. I became an investment advisor. So we were both investment advisors. We shared office space here in Victoria, but had our own separate practices. But that's when I started really learning about what dad had been up to for all of these years professionally. And so, yeah, that's when I became an investment advisor for a dozen years working with dad until he passed away in 2011. Sorry
1: to hear that. Now, quick question for you. So he's a financial, he's an investment advisor. He figures out this tax maneuver or tax gambit can be utilized. Has he now utilized it prior to writing the book for his clients?
2: Yeah. Well, he first became a financial planner in, it was the mid 80s in Vancouver. And at that point, he read the Tax Act and and his primary interest when he became a financial planner was the fact that the Americans could deduct a good portion of their mortgage interest from their income. And we Canadians could not. Mm. And... Thinking that not terribly fair, he set about developing what he subsequently called the Smith Maneuver, whereby a Canadian homeowner does have the ability to convert their mortgage from non-deductible interest to tax-deductible interest. So once that process begins, we're actually better off than our American cousins. Because here in Canada, based on the way the tax code is written, the way everybody is taking care of their mortgage, paying it off, we can't deduct the interest, but we get capital gains exemption when we sell the principal residence. In the States, they get to write off a good portion of their interest, but they do not get a capital gains exemption when they...
1: Well, they do. It's just capped off at a certain number.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's these two differences in the tax code. But now once we Canadian homeowners are able to make our mortgage tax deductible, we get that benefit plus the capital gains exemption.
1: Got it. Got it. So is it fair to say he was utilizing this tax structure uh, prior to writing the book? He was utilizing the...
2: Yeah, back in the mid-80s, he started putting his private clients into it for about 15 years before he retired to write the book. Got it.
1: Wrote the book. Now, this concept of creating the – I was going to ask this question later on in the show, but I think it's important to ask it now. This idea of creating a proprietary process to train others to also utilize the Smith Maneuver, was that something that you initiated? Was his mm-hmm. reasoning to write the book more just to add value to his – peers and others in the space and Canadians. And then when did having uh, Smith Maneuver specialized advisors come into play? Was that his plan from early on? Talk to us about that idea. Yeah,
2: So when dad came up with the strategy, as I said, he put his private clients into it. That was his business until he retired from 2000, 2000 to write his book. And he came out with that book. He was retired from advising. What he wanted was for every Canadian, what I want is for every Canadian homeowner, to at least have the opportunity to say yes to the question, do you want to make your mortgage tax deductible? So he wanted the homeowning public to be very aware of the strategy, but at least know about it so they could look into it. And at that time, he wanted to make the professionals that could help these Canadians implement the strategy widely available. He came out with his book. He sold books by the cases to financial professionals, mortgage brokers, lots of books to Canadian homeowners. Now, when he came out of retirement in 2005, I joined him in 2006. We were both advisors. That's when we really started back in the industry hearing a lot of cases where Canadians would tell us that I was speaking with an investment advisor in Ontario, Saskatchewan, Nova Scotia, Calgary, whatever it is. And they were talking about the Smith Maneuver. And here's what they said. And we'd be like, well, hold on a sec. That's not the Smith Maneuver. And so there were a lot of people getting put into the Smith Maneuver. So they thought, but it wasn't the Smith Maneuver. It was either a little bit wrong or a lot wrong. Okay. And it's a case of, it's not a hugely difficult concept, but there's backgrounds, moving parts to it, just like anything. Why don't we do that? Why don't we go ahead and ask the next question here? Yeah,
0: Robinson. I was going to say, could you give us a crash course, a quick crash course on the Canadian mortgage interest tax and how the Smith maneuver could be used to reduce taxes?
2: So basically, the tax act says when a Canadian borrows to consume. They cannot deduct the interest from their income. So if I borrow to buy a car, buy my wardrobe, go on vacation, if my mortgage statement, if I'm borrowing from the home or, or a personal line of credit, where wherever it comes from, that statement says I'm paying six percent, then that's that's what I'm paying. It's not tax deductible. So that's expensive debt. Plus I'm borrowing to consume, I'm borrowing to buy an item which is going to depreciate or disappear completely in value over time. So it's expensive. And the asset, quote unquote, that I purchase with this disappears. But the Tax Act also says if we Canadians borrow with a reasonable expectation of generating income, then we can deduct the interest. So if I borrow from my home, personal line of credit, wherever it is, if I borrow to buy an investment asset, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, REITs, mix, ETFs, investment property, invest in my business, somebody else's business, then I can expect to receive income from that investment. I can deduct the interest. So I look at my statement. It says I'm paying 6% for that borrowing that I bought this investment with. But if I'm at just, for example, 50% marginal tax rate, then that only costs me 3% in reality because it's tax deductible. And so it's very, very inexpensive debt. Plus, I'm only getting the benefit of these tax deductions, which reduces the actual cost of that debt because I'm buying an investment that I can expect to appreciate in value over time to improve my wealth. So when I borrow to consume, we call that wealth destruction. It's expensive and the asset disappears. When I borrow to invest, that's wealth creation because it's relatively cheap debt. Plus the asset is going to grow over time. So when it comes to the Smith maneuver, dad took a, when he read the tax act, a bunch of little pieces of different puzzles and put them together to develop this strategy. So the fundamental, the first step in all of this is to make sure I have the appropriate financing. Canadians, Will scrape together a down payment, they'll go to the bank, they'll get a mortgage, they'll buy their house. A lot of times, the type of mortgage that these Canadians have on their property is the wrong type. It doesn't allow us to access the equity as fast as we're creating it in order to pull funds out to invest. So, when I make my mortgage payment with this traditional type of mortgage, a lot of it goes to interest, it's not tax deductible, and a little bit reduces principal. But I can't access that principal. Say my mortgage payment pays down my mortgage by $1,000, that balance. I can't access that $1,000 of equity that I just created, and I can't do anything with it. But if I have the right type of mortgage, and this is where Smith Maneuver Certified Professional Mortgage Brokers come into play, they look at my situation, they say, okay, based on what you got going on, here's the right type of readvanceable mortgage for you. Well, now I have the ability to access the equity as fast as I create it, because the portion of my mortgage payment, which reduces that principal balance on that mortgage, is made available again on the line of credit. The line of credit limit will increase dollar for dollar. So I can pull that $1,000 out and I can get it invested. And that is a very important point, get it invested. Because a lot of Canadians will have a readvanceable mortgage. They don't know necessarily they do. They haven't been taught how to use it. And at the end of the month, they get their mortgage statement and says, oh, I've got a line of credit. It says, I've got $1,000 available. Well, geez, that's probably the amount of a monthly payment on a BMW 5 Series. Fantastic. And so they borrow to consume each and every month. They make a car payment. They go on vacation. They buy wardrobes. And all they're doing in this case is paying down expensive non-deductible mortgage debt with the principal and interest payment each month and borrowing back interest-only non-deductible debt to buy assets which depreciate and disappear in value. They're maintaining their total debt. It's all non-deductible. It'll be non-deductible forever. And the assets they're buying disappear. When I borrow to invest through the Smith Maneuver, In something that's going to generate income, I can deduct the interest. It's very inexpensive. That reduces my tax bill. I'm getting a tax refund at the end of the year that otherwise I wouldn't have received. I take this new money that I got from the CRA, I prepay my mortgage with this new cash. And we know that if I prepay my mortgage, 100% of that prepayment goes to principal. Boom, down it goes by that mortgage, that tax refund amount, increase that line of credit limit by the same amount. And once a year, I get to pull that tax refund out amount out to invest as well.
1: You're giving a lot of information. here. Let's just break it down. So one of our first questions was this. So it seems like there's milestones and there's a timeline involved here, right? First thing is this, is that the best case scenario for a Smith maneuver is someone who's applying for a mortgage today, rather than just going the conventional route, they come and see one of the experts that you have, and they put them in a mortgage, which as it builds equity, that equity turns into a line of credit that they could access to then invest with.
2: Correct? Entirely correct. Okay. So now, one second. Either a home buyer, either someone who's buying a home, or someone who is interested in the strategy they want to implement, they can refi into one.
1: There you go. So let's talk about that. Now, I own a million-dollar home. I have half a million dollars in equity and a half a million-dollar mortgage. I come and see you. Or one of your team members, and it's time for my refi, so I'm not going to be paying any, any penalties. Right. I refi more my mortgage into, as it's known, it's uh, a re-advanceable. readvanceable, readvanceable mortgage. Well, we have it here. Yeah, we go and do it, a readvanceable mortgage, and now the half a million dollar in equity can be accessed as a line of credit, but only the interest payment on that line of credit that i've borrowed to invest in an income producing asset is a write-off not the
2: mortgage i'm paying on the half a million dollar mortgage correct firstly august just to be clear for everyone listening you've got a million dollar house five hundred thousand dollar mortgage balance yes you have five hundred thousand dollars of equity as well in that home but you can't access all of it so again to get a little bit technical just so nobody has any confusion going forward I need at least 20% equity in my home to get the right type of mortgage readvanceable. In this scenario, you do. So now you've got a $500,000 mortgage balance, but the amount of equity you can access considering the 2012 loss fee rules, HELOC rules, 65%, is now $150,000.
1: Oh, it's only $150,000. Fair enough. Let's just put that $150,000 aside for a second. The first question we want to answer, and Ava and I were discussing this, the half a million dollars of mortgage, the interest being paid on that in this new mortgage is
2: still not deductible correct got it so okay we just want to get the that out of the original way. use of those funds regardless of who your lender is was to buy that house got it beautiful we understand
1: that let's go to the next step now you got some equity you've converted your mortgage if your mortgage wasn't already a readvanceable mortgage yeah. you've now seen one of the smith certified people and you've turned it into a readvanceable mortgage okay right here it says obtain an advanceable mortgage the type of Mortgage allows you to borrow against the equity of your home as you paid on the mortgage principal. Okay, so great. Now, as my equity builds, I have an option to access it. If I already have a big portion of equity, now I can go borrow against it to make investments. Let's go ahead and talk about investments as far as what those investments are. And the tax code says, we did research on this, the tax code actually says Revenue Canada is vague, I think is purposefully vague, but it's pretty straightforward here on what someone could invest so basically it says that you have to make an investment in an income producing investment such as so basically stocks and what have you let's break that down okay it says over here so mutual funds etfs the stock market and so on and so forth you producing assets in some income producing assets okay. so that's very broad is there a list that limits you only to that list or is any income producing asset
2: Well, not having ever been an accountant and not being an accountant now, this is where the accountant would come in. Someone has an idea of what they want to invest in. They look at this, say yes or no, as far as qualifying for deductible interest. But there has to be a reasonable expectation of income. And I went through a list, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, REITs, CTFs, all that sort of stuff. There has to be a reasonable expectation of income. There doesn't have to actually be income. And just for an example, I can like an equity mutual fund. Okay. It's never paid out dividends. It appears to be strictly a capital gain play. However, if this fund has not indicated anywhere that no distributions, no dividends, no income will never be paid out, then the potential that in the future it may, it may declare an extraordinary dividend. And I can still borrow to invest in that equity fund and claim the deductions because there's a possibility that it could send income out in the future. Obviously, dividend funds. Yeah, they're fine. I'm receiving dividends, whether I take them in cash or they're being reinvested automatically. But then you move into other types of investments where one would think you could deduct the interest, but you can't. And a lot of people are gold bugs. They love gold. They say, Well, I'm going to implement the strategy, and each month or with available equity, I'm going to pull that out and I'm going to buy gold bullion. Well, you got to be careful because if I buy a gold bar, That's just a lump of metal that either sits on my desk so that everyone can see it when they walk in my office or it sits in my vault. I'm not generating any income from that. That's a pure capital gameplay. play. And so the CRA says, whoa, 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 where's the income coming from that? And in some cases, it's raw land. I buy raw land. I'm going to buy it, hold it, sell it in a few years for profit. Where's the income? It's not there unless I'm buying it with the intention of developing it, that sort of thing. So there's no list that I'm aware of that says, yes, 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 no, no, no. Because things are vague. And these are where tax professionals come in and say, yeah, if we were ever asked by this, by the CRA, here's how we could defend it.
1: Fair enough. I would say it's pretty black and white in what is income producing investments and non-income producing investments. You made great examples of gold and billion. I think the sentence here is very important because it says that, this means that investments that are primarily speculative or that have low likelihood of generating income may not qualify for the deduction. So we understand that. The reason we're so keen on getting answers from you, Robinson, is that we got a dog in the race here. We create syndications. We also are launching a real estate fund, which are income producing type of investments. They have actually a high likelihood of producing income. and. We want to know if our investors can use the Smith Maneuver and invest in our syndications. Syndication is basically project-specific funds. We just create all the entities for one deal. They'd be investing in one deal. A fund is a basket of deals and they can kind of invest. They have longer maturity. But they're both income-producing because we buy income-producing assets. And that's part of our offering documents and everything else. So that's where we're going with this kind of question as far as income-producing or non-income-producing. So...
2: Yeah. And to that, you know, I'm not familiar with the type of investment products you guys create. I have a vague idea, but I haven't dug into it. Also, I don't have the professional qualification to say yes or no, but there's a high likelihood that there would be absolutely no problem here because if there is a reasonable expectation of generating income, possibility of generating income, it should be okay. So what I would suggest is going to your favorite tax accountant, tax lawyer and saying, here are our investment products. If, as a Canadian, I borrowed to invest in one of our investment opportunities, would the CRA, if they ever asked, have any issue with me deducting the interest? And then you're going to get a professional opinion yes or no, or quite likely not a problem. And I found over the years that you would think that accounting and taxation is a cut and dry industry. And you can talk to six different accountants about one item, and you're going to have a few different answers because it's not so cut and dry. And there are ways to defend if ever asked. To, and so it's quite interesting. And so I never give any opinion specifically on any specific types of investment products. But I think you'll find if you guys look into it, that you get a tax opinion, it should be okay. And then obviously, you're going to recommend to anybody considering your investment to talk to their own professional. Of course. But I don't see an issue from what I know. But uh, Somewhat limited. I don't see a problem. From your description, I think it should be okay. Sure.
1: And just to add on to that, as far as opinions when it comes to CPAs and tax strategists, that's coming from them, you have multiple opinions. But coming also from the CRA, you have multiple opinions depending on the officer that you end up dealing with. Some get convinced about certain things, some don't, some have different views. So that is also on that side of things is also kind of
2: very opinion. And That's that's across country, across Canada. And you can't avoid it. You get one CRA agent who thinks about something this way. Another will think about yes. it that way. Yes. Uh, but as long as you've got professional opinion and they've said, if asked, here's how we can defend. Maybe we win, maybe we lose, but here's the defense. Got it. As I understand it. You know, previous tax law, case law. Yes. And all that sort of thing, so.
1: Fair enough. Now, Eva, I think you had a question.
0: It actually got answered with you guys talking. Okay, okay, yeah. forgive me, but yeah, I was just okay. on on
1: a roll there. But I was going to say, uh,
0: Robinson, we actually learned our lesson with that too. Setting up our tax structure for Canadians to invest across borders, and we talked to like twenty different accountants. They all said something different. So. They all said had, we had a different. I can relate to that for sure. But for that's sure. good for everybody listening to this. Just go to your tax accountant. And do you
1: have a list of tax accountants who have expertise in the Smith maneuver or have had dealings with CRA that? There's a list
2: that well, recommend. Yeah, I mean, we, we touched on the Smith Certified Professional Accreditation Network a little bit earlier, but for the past few years, we've been training up a number of different professionals. So accountants, investment advisors, mortgage brokers, all the different types of professionals a Canadian should surround themselves with in any event, whether they're doing the strategy or not. But now we've got from Victoria to Halifax, we've got Smith certified professionals. Canadians who are looking to be connected with them can write into the website saying, here's the type of professional I'm looking for, here's where I am.
1: Now, let's go over the actual kind of mechanics of when your team gets their hand on a file, right? So, there's a client who is trying to buy a home, is aware of the Smith maneuver, comes and sees one of your team members or the certified people that can do the Smith maneuver. The person gets them a mortgage that is, what was it again? Readvanceable. Readvanceable mortgage. And now, their equity keeps building or they can access extra equity they got. Well, if they just got a mortgage, there's no equity to access. It's just well, as- It
2: depends as on it, how it much does. the down payment is.
1: Oh yeah, depends on how much down payment they, they decided to put up. So is it part of the strategy to put up more of a down payment to borrow against, to then write that piece off? Or does, does Everybody the, is Everybody's
2: different, right? And this is someone will write into my website, say, I'm looking for a smith Minerva Certified Professional Mortgage Broker in Vancouver. Okay, we set them up this professional will discuss with the client, how much do you have for a down payment? How much could you get for a down payment? Do you have any investment properties? What's your investment? Also, all that sort of qualification stuff, whether it's a purchase or a refi. Now, when you ask, do you want more of a down payment or just enough to get into the product? The whole goal for a Canadian homeowner, firstly, should be, rightly so, to get rid of that expensive, non-deductible mortgage debt sooner. So the bigger a down payment I put, the less non-deductible expensive debt I have to incur. Right? And the more my down payment is, the more immediately available access I have to credit that I can pull to invest. So, but you're
1: paying interest on your own money, though. Let's just do the example of million-dollar house. You're sitting on a half a million dollars, the same example we used. So you have an option of either putting 350 getting 650 mortgage, and then start building your equity to use for the Smith Maneuver. Or, since you have access to half a million, you can put the whole half a million, borrow 150 out, pay interest on that, go and reinvest it to then write off the interest. Is it, doesn't it just make more sense to take the 150K and invest it where you're planning to invest it?
2: Well, this is where I was going. Yeah, The important thing to note is some people may not want to borrow any additional funds. If at a refi, for example, I got a $500,000 mortgage and a million dollar house. If I refi into the right type of property, I'm going to have significantly available equity that I can pull out to invest. I might not be the type of person that wants to do that. I've already got $500,000 of debt. I want to convert that to good debt via the Smith Mover process, but I don't want to take out an extra 150 dollars and invest it. It's just who I am as an individual. I'm incurring ex- extra $150,000 worth of debt when I already have 500 dollars So it depends on the, on the person. Are they really investment oriented? Are they more conservative? That sort of thing. But if I have the ability to put a bigger down payment against my house and have a smaller non deductible mortgage balance, that's what I'm going to do personally, because then I have immediately available equity I can put to work, get deductions on it, invest it, take advantage of compound growth. Plus, I've got a smaller non deductible mortgage balance. The whole idea is to get rid of that as fast as possible. If I'm only putting down 20%, which is the minimum required, and I'm getting a big mortgage on my house, well, now it's going to take me longer to get rid of that debt because I'm starting off with more debt. So I'm going to put as much as I can down, smaller mortgage debt, immediately available equity, put that to work, start reducing my tax bill and take taking. Let,
1: let's break this down a bit more because the, the advice of everyone that understands real estate is debt is really the superpower of real estate investing. Debt doesn't exist in equity investing. That's why real estate has beat. The equities over the whatever it is last hundred years because of debt. So, leveraging debt is always important in commercial or residential real estate. But you're saying that in this case scenario for Canadians, it actually makes more sense that, again, going on my million dollar home, that if somebody has a million dollar cash, they should buy the home cash, borrow against it, then go and invest it so they can write off that nominal interest rate they pay on whoever they borrowed from in the long term, does the math make sense there? Because the other option is the person just pulls that money out and goes and invests it directly and doesn't go through this process. I'm just wondering, because it's just, it's really the interest that gets written off against your income. So it also depends what kind of income you're making and what kind of, if you got a T4 job or T1 type of income, it really depends on what type of income producer
2: you are as well. It it does depend on your marginal tax rate. The the higher your marginal tax rate, the the better your tax relief is. But the whole point here is, if I'm going to have debt, do I want non-deductible debt or do I want tax deductible debt? If I have the ability to buy my million dollar home with cash and then refinance that home and pull out and borrow to invest, that's what I'm going to consider rather than just a minimum down payment and have all this non-deductible debt.
1: Got it. Let's touch on that. So let's talk about deductible debt compared to non-deductible debt. Does the type of mortgages your advisors have access to, is going for a readvanceable mortgage going to increase the rates?
2: Well, mortgages are mortgages. Lenders have different rates at any given time. Sometimes lenders want to get mortgages, sometimes they don't. I don't understand that. But I'm talking about particularly for re mortgages. Is going with a re mortgage
1: at a higher cost than not talking about where the market is at? Is that a higher cost? No, it's not. Okay. okay. So it makes more sense for somebody buying a home to increase their mortgage payment through a re mortgage because they can write it off. So it just it obviously makes more sense, right? So if it's a nominal amount or if they can pay cash. So if somebody's got cash for that million dollar, is that advice to buy it
2: cash and then get a mortgage on it? Like what would be the process there? Well, firstly, any advice given is going to be dependent on who this client is. And I understand what you folks do here at CPI and your goal and your focus. My goal and my focus is to make sure that Canadian homeowners, regardless of their interest, whether they like the stock market or, or investment real estate, is that they understand they have the opportunity to minimize their non-deductible debt, maximize their tax deductible debt, and get invested with money that otherwise wouldn't exist simply by getting this structure in place on financing. Now, there's consideration here because we're looking at different rates. The amortizing rate is going to be different than the interest-only rate on that HELOC. right? And we've seen past few years 2% on the amortizing and a higher rate on the HELOC. Well, after factoring in tax deductibility on that HELOC side, does it make sense to replace tax deductible debt, to replace non-deductible debt at a low rate with tax deductible debt at a high rate? And based on the marginal tax rate, what's your real rate? So maybe it makes sense, maybe it doesn't, to really aggressively pay down your non-deductible debt at this particular time. Got it. You refinance into the type of mortgage that works. What are rates doing then? And this is the analysis that the professionals need to do. But the whole point here is, as you and your listeners are very well aware, debt, understanding debt, good debt, bad debt, tax deductible, non-deductible, that understanding is what has made the wealthy wealthy. They understand debt and they use it to their advantage. And your typical Canadian doesn't understand, truly understand debt. They've simply never been taught it. They hear the word debt and it's just this big, dark, ugly cloud above their head because they think credit card, mortgage, car loan, student loan. So debt is bad. And this is why there aren't more wealthy people. It's because the wealthy people understand that you can use debt to your advantage. You can use debt, you can leverage debt to buy investment properties, to buy Stocks, buy these assets which are going to appreciate in value over time, and that's why they love this. Is because when they get the right type of mortgage, when they start to implement the Smith maneuver, maybe they've had the wrong mortgage for a number of years. They refinance into the right mortgage. They've still got their non-deductible mortgage balance that doesn't change, but now that boom, they've got access to two hundred thousand dollars, and they enjoy real estate. They understand it. They feel comfortable. They can pull that out and they can buy their second rental property or their first, right? And now they've got. Two assets which are producing wealth for them, their rental property or their invest their real estate investment opportunity they've gone into, plus their principal residence. And now they can implement the cash flow dam accelerator. You know, we haven't talked about accelerators or anything like that. But the important thing here is for those who are interested in real estate, investing in real estate, this strategy, the Smith maneuver, gives you an opportunity to either get into real estate or to further increase your portfolio. And generate an additional source of wealth from your principal residence, which most Canadians aren't at this point in time. It's the house in which they live. They're busy making that mortgage payment. They're going to pay it for 25 years and not see any other benefit from it because they're not going to be accessing the equity as fast as they're creating it. They're creating significant equity in their asset, right? When they're paying that mortgage down, their equity increases. They hit retirement. They've got a clear title house and they're living off a fixed income because for the past 25, 40 years, they haven't put their equity to work. It's earned them less than 0% due to inflation. And a lot of people know someone who's a senior citizen. They've got a clear title house. It's worth $1.1 million. They have to watch what they spend because all they've got is CPP and OAS. What's the advice to that person? What's the advice? Let's talk about both spectrum here,
1: right? We'll talk about the senior citizen who's got a Million-dollar house paid off, and then we'll go over the new couple who want to buy a home who are, who are just going to scrape by to be able to make that 20% down payment. We'll talk about that later. But what's the advice to a senior who's got a million-dollar home, clear title? Should they use the Smith Maneuver, pull money out, and invest it?
2: That's not the Smith Maneuver. Okay. The Smith Maneuver, and this is important to understand, the Smith Maneuver is a debt conversion strategy. Okay. If I have a mortgage or if I have to get a mortgage for my principal residence is non-deductible. It allows us to convert that from non-deductible to deductible. If I look at anyone who's clear title, and I see this a lot. 40% of homes in Vancouver are clear title. Like close Hey, hey, Reddit or whatever, right? I'm clear title. I want to implement the Smith Maneuver. Well, you're not going to because you don't need to. You're already rid of that mortgage debt. If you want to borrow, go slap a HELOC against your clear title house and pull that out to invest. That's straight leverage investing. That's not the Smith maneuver because there's no debt to convert.
1: So let's compare the two. Should the Smith maneuver be used instead of a HELOC or a HELOC with the Smith maneuver, or no? What is that? That's the I'm Smith
2: m- maneuver is applicable for when someone has mortgage debt on their principal. Or somebody's
0: clear title. Okay, Got so it. they've already paid the law. They don't need to get. They it. should just get a HELOC. That's correct.
2: Yeah. After talking to a professional, deciding that's what they want to do, if they want to pull from their house to invest. They can get a HELOC. They don't need a readvanceable mortgage because there's no bad debt to convert.
0: No Fair enough. Convert.
2: Fair enough. Now let's talk
1: about the other spectrum. Who is a young couple? They just scraped by, saved two hundred k. Their income. They can debt service the eight hundred thousand dollar mortgage. They came and saw one of your guys. They got a readvanceable mortgage, and now their equity is building in their home. And let's say that equity builds up a bit. Depending on what's the advice there, let it build up to 50K, then take that 50K and invest somewhere, or as it comes in, it automatically goes into an index fund? What is the best, like what is advice
2: there? There is no advice. There's a consultation and there's a decision on what that client wants to do. And then there's implementation of that. And that's important to understand. But the opportunities, the option here is if I have the right type of mortgage, as fast as I'm paying down that bad mortgage debt, I can access it. Maybe it's a thousand bucks a month. Each month, thousand bucks. I can pull back a thousand bucks. I can get it invested. If once I get the right type of mortgage, I also have one hundred and fifty thousand dollars of immediately available equity. I can pull all of that and invest it. I can pull some of it. I can pull none of it. Depends. How am I going to sleep at night? Right. It's up to the client. But there's an opportunity to still convert that five hundred thousand dollars. They have one hundred and fifty thousand available on that HELOC side. But if they don't want to touch it, they don't. They just pull that thousand dollars, get it invested. So they've continually got $150,000 of immediately available equity going forward. They're building up their investment portfolio in whatever they're investing by a thousand bucks a month. It's tough to get into investment real estate with a thousand bucks a month. But over time, I am going to have fifty, seventy-five, hundred thousand dollars built up. I can redeem whatever I've been investing a thousand bucks a month, big chunk of cash. Now I can buy my first rental property.
1: Okay. Got it. A couple other questions Perfect. before we finish up here. So You touched on this lots. People need to come and see you. Some accountant says they're doing something that's called a Smith maneuver, which is not. But what our research shows is in general, CRA takes a case by case approach to the use of Smith maneuver and closely scrutinizes taxpayers who claim deduction for the investment interest. While there is no specific information, basically, my research told us that when you do utilize the Smith maneuver, that the CRA takes a specific interest in this strategy. Is that something that you're... The... Oh, sorry. So it says the CRA takes a cautious approach to the use of SPIT maneuver and closely scrutinizes taxpayers who claim deduction for investment interest.
2: The CRA is responsible for determining when a deduction is qualified or not. And they have that role, whether someone is implementing a Smith maneuver and borrowing on a monthly basis to invest, whether someone is simply executing leverage investing by taking a HELOC and slapping it against a clear title house, whether a business is claiming deduction, whether individuals are claiming any other types of deductions. When you're preparing your tax return and sending it in, nowhere are you saying, "I'm hey, by the way, I'm doing the Smith Maneuver, right? You're sending it in, you're claiming your tax deductions and the CRA will do what the CRA does. Now we had well over 500 families as clients back when I was actively advising a while back, and there had been a number of assessments, which is where the CRA says, okay, hey, we're looking at this. Can you please provide some documentation? And the accountant will, on behalf of the client, assemble and send to the CRA. And the CRA says, okay, thank you for that. We'll see you next year. We didn't have any clients get audited. The responsibility there for the CRA is to ensure that regardless of who the person is, the Canadian taxpayer is, regardless of what strategy, this isn't the only Strategy out there, right? This is just one of them that they're not doing anything. The homeowner isn't claiming anything they shouldn't, isn't doing anything they shouldn't. And that's why it's so important to have the right professionals in your corner, is because they know how to determine what type of investment we can go into, how to make the paper trail of borrowing to invest. Where did that money come from? Where did it go? What was the interest paid on it? And a lot of mistakes that some people will make is they've got the mortgage and they've got the HELOC and there's deductible debt on it, but they also pull money out to make a car down payment on a car. So now we've got this HELOC, which has both tax deductible debt from the process and non-deductible debt, which is borrowed to consume. And the CRA will look at that and say, okay, how much is for what type of debt? And maybe they disallow the whole thing. That's why it's so important to have the right professionals in your
1: corner. So I guess the last point on this matter is another issue is the proportion of the Borrowed funds that can be claimed as tax deduction. The CRA has stated that only a portion of the borrowed funds that is actually used to purchase income producing investments can be claimed as deduction. Touch on that a bit.
2: What I'm claiming has to be the interest on money that I borrowed to invest in an income or potentially income producing asset. Okay, but this says part of it. So all of it, right? All the. That's probably referring to the fact what I just alluded to. If I've got a line of credit or a debt facility somewhere, and I'm claiming tax deductions on all of it was all of it actually borrowed to go to a investment or got was it. some of it used to go to buy a car or pay my credit card bill. Got it. See, Got, got it. Got it, yeah. got it. Got it. Got it. Very, okay, okay, got it. All right.
0: The last question I have okay. is if you don't mind going back, of I course. just wanted to quickly ask you, is the Smith maneuver only available to utilize on your primary residence?
2: No. So this is the main use for it because the vast majority of homes owned by typical Canadians are their principal residents. But, it's applicable to a principal residence because it's non-deductible debt. However, I may also own a cottage, recreational property. I've got a mortgage on that. I'm not renting it out. It's simply for my family. We go a few times a year, whatever. But if that debt is not deductible because I'm not renting it out, generating income, then I have the ability to put a re mortgage on that as well and convert that debt in addition to my principal residence. And another question that a lot of people have as well, this sounds great. I'm also going to do the Smith Maneuver on my rental property. and Where the misunderstanding there is you don't need to do the Smith maneuver on your rental property because it's already tax deductible debt. You borrow to invest in a business, right? However, having the right financing on your rental property is very important because if I have just a traditional principal plus interest mortgage on my rental property, each month I make that payment. I'm paying down my tax deductible debt, paying down tax deductible debt, and I'm increasing my equity in that rental property. And when I want to pull equity out of my rental properties to buy my second piece of rental property, I got to requalify appraisal, legals, documentation, all of that really, really fun stuff. And now I get a higher limit and I can pull and I can buy my second property. But if I have a re mortgage on that rental property, it's like I'm refinancing every month and it doesn't cost me anything because I can access the equity each month that I'm paying down. Effectively, therefore, only making interest-only payments on all that tax-deductible debt, as long as when I access it, I put it to work, invest it. So this is where talking to someone who can really take your portfolio, all your portfolio, what you've got going on, your investments, securities, real estate, saying, okay, here's how we're going to set this all up.
1: Moral story, if you're getting a mortgage in Canada, make sure it's
2: re <laughs> <laughs> They're very flexible. However, it can also do some damage to people who aren't using them effectively. Okay. Amazing. Okay, Thank know. you so much. Have we're
1: going to have you on again to do your presentation at some point. Yeah, this we'll is do really that, great. I learned but, a uh, lot.
0: I learned a lot. Thank you. Amazing. Robinson.
1: Let's get to the second segment of our show because okay. we've had Robinson on for a long time here. Let's get this banged let's, out.
0: Let's get this party started. Okay. We're going to go to the 10 championship rounds to financial freedom. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions, whatever comes top of mind. Are you ready? Yep. Sure. Let's do it. Okay. Number one, who's been the most influential person in your life?
1: I think I know the answer to this one.
2: <laughs> you have Ava. And I haven't known you that long. <laughs>
0: um, wow, I'm flattered.
2: <laughs> the most influential, that uh, split that between my mother and my father. Yeah,
0: very, very, nice. Nice. Okay. very nice. Second question. What's the number one book you'd recommend?
2: Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance.
0: Oh, What is that book about?
2: It's a book about doing whatever you're doing to the best of your abilities and how important that is, regardless if it's a big project or a little project. Amazing. I picked it up when I was still a teenager, because it had motorcycle in the title. I'm a big motorcyclist, but I certainly learned a lot when I read that
0: book. Oh, beautiful. Okay. Lovely. Never heard of that one before, so pick it up. Yes. Next question. If you had the opportunity to travel back in time, what advice would you give your younger self?
2: Stop with toys. Okay. That's what I tell myself. I'm not telling anybody else, but I would tell myself, you don't need as many toys. The toys don't bring you happiness. The toys end up owning you. You don't owe the toys.
1: Hey, but we got to hold off on the private jet, so.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) You guys go nutty. You get the jet. You let me over, all right?
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, he wants an invite. (laughs) Really, really great advice, though. I love that. Okay, next question. What's the best investment you've ever made?
2: Not to get ethereal and, say, investment in knowledge and stuff like that, but the actual best investment, and I still do, I do quite a bit of private lending.
0: Nice. Nice. Okay, Robinson, what's the worst investment you've ever made and what lessons did you learn from
2: it? Startups. I've had a number of startups that uh, just kind of went away. So if I was thinking about investing in startups, I'd tell my younger self do a lot more due diligence and maybe don't invest in as many. Some paid off, but most of them have not.
1: Talking about sophisticated investing, VC investing is probably one of the most sophisticated investing. It's like going to a roulette table. There's a strategy on a bet on roulette. You can't just put it on one number and expect to hit it. Right? <laughs>
0: no, that's right. <laughs> All right. Okay, here we go. How much would you need in the bank to retire today? What's your number?
2: I'm a simple man. Three to four, I could be happy. Easy. Really? Nice. All right, That's 100, right? Three to 400 million? <laughs> oh, well, that's right. It's not a game stopper for me doing what I love doing, which is getting out and talking about this. So it's not really something I've had a lot of thought about. (laughs) So anyways, I'm here doing what I do and I'll continue on regardless of what the bank account says.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Okay, Robinson, if you could have dinner with someone dead or alive, who would it be?
2: I think it would be someone my wife would recommend for me. And I don't know who she would recommend for me. But we're two different people in respect to the fact that I'm more of numbers, financial strategy kind of guy. My wife also just came out with a book, How to Make Friends with a Boogeyman. And it's about dealing with one's life on a more emotional, spiritual level. And she's been teaching me a lot about that. And she has been taught about that from others, whether these people taught her they're deceased and taught her in their writings or whatever the case may be. So I would let her decide. So that she could continue to help me grow from that perspective rather than the financial focused one that I have been naturally.
0: Amazing. I love that. It's
2: a that. bit of a wishy-washy answer. That's a I good one though. I little... like that. That's
0: the way you decide. Very nice. Okay. Next question. If you weren't doing what you're doing today, what would you be doing now?
2: I'd be a teacher. I don't know. Young kids, university. I don't know. I've always wanted to be a teacher. I enjoy being in front of people, whether it's a classroom or up on stage. And I believe that if one has knowledge, that they've got a certain duty to relay that to others. And yeah, I do enjoy the teaching role.
1: Well, you have the patience to do that because we pressed you a long time (laughs) and you stayed in character and you stayed (laughs) and you responded so perfectly. And I'm. I would say one of the best explainers. So, yeah, definitely. You would do Yeah,
2: yeah, I'm looking forward to doing an event with you folks where I can get the PowerPoint out and go through the steps and really get into the nuts of it all. Definitely.
0: Okay, next question. My favorite one is book smarts or street smarts? Street smarts. Street smarts. There you go.
2: Okay. Uh (laughs) And now, what you were leaning towards with that question, I don't know, but I guess that's part of the intrigue. Why does one person decide the one? Yeah. As far as would I rather be street smart or book smart, I'd rather be street smart and then work towards being book smart.
1: Most of the guests on our show are academics, scholars, experts and highly and well-educated. And the answer seems to be 98% street smart, street smart. Yeah. So that's the interesting part about it. Really, you know, yeah,
0: experience. Well, I'm going
2: to change my answer then to the other 2%. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: All right. Last question, Robinson, if you had a million dollars in cash, and you had to make one investment today, what would it be?
2: I would go into a private loan.
0: A private loan. Nice. nice.
1: Who's it. Oddly enough, if I had to do something quick, that's probably what I would have done as well. Yeah,
0: right on.
2: All right. Okay. Amazing. Okay. Go Robinson,
0: ahead. Just quickly tell everybody what's the best way that they can reach you.
2: Yeah, through the website, smithman.net, S-M-I-T-H-M-A-N.net. So lots of information there. I can be reached through there. We've got the book. So that's where you go. Awesome. And one
0: more thing, We're let's go back up here. Notes. I just wanted to master your mortgage for financial freedom. We're going to actually include the link in the show notes below, everybody. So if you want to get this book, make sure that you. Click I think that it's way. on the
1: website too. Anyways, yeah, great. Yeah, I don't know Thank I'm you saying. so much, Robinson. Really appreciate yeah. your time. Thanks for being with us, sharing your knowledge and wisdom with us. And I'm sure a lot of people got that
2: value from this. Yeah,
0: thanks for your time, Robinson.
2: Absolutely, much appreciated.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode. We hope this conversation enlightened you on how to win big in this highly profitable and risk-adverse space. Get on your feet and embrace this world that offers so many opportunities just waiting for you out there. Continue your journey to becoming a savvy real estate expert by subscribing to the show at cpicapital.ca. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and share with your friends. See you on the next one.